Making room for hope. For God alone, my soul waits in silence, for my hope is from God. Hustle and bustle isn't just a phrase for the holidays anymore. Working, texting, and keeping up with demanding schedules often leaves us exhausted with very little room in our hearts and minds for much else. And our fears about money, jobs, war, and more shift our focus from the daily bread needs of people all around us. That's why we need to be reminded again and again that our hope rests in God and in the word that the darkness cannot extinguish. We must make room to be still, to remember those we are, and to be freed to serve in God's name. Amen. Well, I'm really glad to be here. What a beautiful church. Just a beautiful building. And uh, when we're singing those glorious carols, Chris uh, leaned over and he says, Goosebumps. <laughs> he says, I, I have not sung to a pipe organ in a long time. There's something glorious. I actually think if you have a building of this, it looks like a church. <laughs> And that actually poises you in this particular moment in history and culture better than, I think, some places that thought, you know, a a big gymnasium or something would be a more useful, multi-purpose thing. But there's a craving in the heart of people. I'm, I'm meeting with it all the time. They're starved for sacred space. They, they need some... Forgive me, almost icons, some iconography, something that visually, in, in its design, in its artistry, depicts for them something of the kingdom among us. And bravo, kudos, this does it. So I, it's just been a, a joy to be here this weekend. I meet with a, a lot of different church leader groups I love that. I should mention that I'm not currently pastoring. I'm actually teaching pastors at Ambrose University in Calgary. I I did pastor for 24 years, and then I thought I'd like to mess with the minds and hearts of pastors. (laughs) So that's what I'm doing now. But I love uh, going around and meeting with leadership teams. And I have to say, broadly, leadership teams fall into two distinct categories, we end up talking about something about the church, something about worship, something about mission, something about evangelism, discipleship, etc. And there's a group of people that their response is yes, but. And then there's a, another set of leaders I get to meet with, and their response is, oh, yes. <laughs> Your leaders are in that second category. It was just a joyful to meet with uh, first a larger group yesterday in the early afternoon, then later in the afternoon, the, the elders board. And there is a, a, a vision, a passion, an energy, an engagement, a wide embrace about what God is doing in your midst. So lucky you. I, I guess luck isn't really a Christian idea, but you know what I mean. Okay. Yes, I'm going to speak on hope, but I'm going to speak from a text that normally is not associated with Advent, but it's a story of 
the inbreaking of hope. And later I'll talk a little bit about the work I do with my friends at World Vision Canada. And I would say that uh, why I signed up to be part of what World Vision is doing, both nationally and internationally, is because their ministry, if I had to distill it, is about the inbreaking of hope. I mean, when hope becomes visible, when hope becomes tangible, when you can actually taste it, <laughs> when, when things are very bleak, very broken, it doesn't seem like there's any way through, and suddenly, a voice, <laughs> suddenly a presence, suddenly a light. And that's the, the original kind of Advent text. It's out of Isaiah 9. That's not the text I'm going to read, but it starts with there is darkness and gloom, and no, no, everybody had run out of hope. <laughs> And into it breaks light, and into it breaks a voice saying, God is on the move. And that's the text I want to take you today. If you, want, if you have a Bible and you want to turn to Acts 16, it's a story of Paul and Silas, and we know Luke is there because Luke uh, writes the book of Acts, and we know he's actually along for the ride when he uses the we clause, <laughs> and he does that in this passage. And, and we uh, know from uh, just the beginning of chapter 17, I'm going to read from 16, that there's other people, because he says Paul and his companions. So what I want you to do is this, is a somewhat lengthy passage, and you might, you might start to, your mind might start to drift. I would ask you not to let it drift. And here's a little tip that helps me. Imagine you're one of the companions of Paul. And you're actually watching this, these events that I'm about to narrate unfold. You're there. And so not just hear it, but, but kind of see the thing, see it visually. I'm going to start reading in chapter 16, verse 6 of the uh, book of Acts. Acts 16, 6 and following. Paul and his companions, there it is, traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they entered into Bithynia, but the Spirit, they tried to enter into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. I have no idea what that's about. I mean, how does he do that? Does he tackle them? I, I don't know. Uh, So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him. Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we went out to sea and sailed through Samothrace, and the next day we went to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. I'm going to skip over a little bit. Uh, Paul meets this wealthy woman, Lydia, leads her to Jesus, and then uh, a a young slave girl, enslaved uh, 
afflicted with a spirit, some, some demonic foreign spirit, allows her to foretell the future. Her owners are making bags of money off of her, and she follows Paul and Silas around and declares, these are men of the Most High God telling you the way to be saved. And Paul finally turns around one day and casts a demon out. Uh, I'll start again in verse 19. When her owners realized that their hope of making money from this girl, now without this demonic spirit, the hope of making money was gone. Their hope, their hope, their hope. Getting rich off exploitation of a little girl. Wow, that's a dark hope, eh? Their hope. When they realized that, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods after they'd been severely flogged. They're thrown into the prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, which is what you do after you've just been beaten, right? Hope, 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 hope. Where was hope? What are they hoping in? (laughs) And the other prisoners were listening to them. Hmm. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prisons were shaken. At once, the prison doors flew open. Everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought his prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and all your household. And so that's what the man does, and he's baptized. It's a good story. (laughs) The most legendary winningest and most beloved coach ever in college history was John Wooden of UCLA. And Wooden, a a, a magnificent human being. But he believed that no player could rise to their true height until they had utterly mastered and kept going back to the basics. So Wooden would do this. He would have a new team, and it would be the beginning of a new season. He had all these jocks, all these superstar players had been recruited and won a full ride at UCLA to, to play with them. And, 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 and he would get up, and he would get all these athletes in front of him, and he, here would be his first lesson. Gentlemen, this is a basketball. <laughs> His next lesson, actually, he'd teach them how to put their socks on. I'm not kidding. (laughs) If the Apostle Paul were here today, or I think actually virtually in any church in North America, I think he would get up and he would say, men and women, people of God, This is the gospel. (laughs) 
I think you'd want to call us back to some clarity about the basics of what the work of God in Jesus Christ through the church for the sake of humanity is. But what would he say? What would he hold up if he said, ladies and gentlemen, this is a gospel? Well, in some ways, we can hardly get anything more crisp, focused, simple than what Paul says to that Philippian jailer when he asks the question, what must I do to be saved? And in verse 31, Paul simply says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. I mean, you know, that's so simple, even... Even academics can get that. I mean, there's nobody excluded from, from embracing the simplicity and yet the breadth of that. Just believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. But here's the thing that I wonder. What did the jailer mean when he said, how do I get saved? How did he even know to ask that question? Because this is the first time Paul and, and, and the gospel has been introduced, come into that part of the world. And so he, this guy didn't grow up in Sunday school. He didn't, it's not Christianese is what I'm saying. It's that sort of language that he grew up with and now he's asking, you know, what, what is the simple, do I have to sign something or do I have to give something? He's asking a bigger question and I would suggest the question is this. Whatever is the source of hope you guys have, how do I get in on that? <laughs> I think he's intuitively glimpsing what Jesus said when he got up uh, on that day in the synagogue as he's coming into the fullness of his ministry. He's come out of the, the, the desert and his time there is being formed, ready for ministry. And his first outing is he goes into the local synagogue and he's handed the text of Isaiah 62 and there's a bit of Isaiah 58 in there. And Jesus reads in Luke 4, and he says, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach good news. Evangelion, gospel. And it is about hope, subversive hope, in-breaking hope, turning the world on its head. It's about changing the hearts and the circumstances of people and their circumstances. That's what the gospel is. So sight to the blind, prisoner, uh, the the release of the captives, release of the prisoners, the breaking of the oppression. He talks about in, in the actually Isaiah text in Isaiah 62, the binding up of the brokenhearted. (laughs) This is the gospel. Well, it, it turns out that Indeed, what we just read, and I partly narrated in the, the, the story in Philippians, or rather Acts, in Philippi, Acts 16, is the gospel in motion. When, when Paul says to this jailer who's asking, how do I get saved? How do I get in on this source of hope, this foundation of hope, this real hope that you have taken hold of that makes you, what, Sing? when you've just been beaten with rods and sticks and thrown in jail and clamped with manacles for doing a good deed in town and you guys sing? What? (laughs) What the 
heck? Are you drinking? Are you smoking? What is this about? How do I get in? What's the hope? Because I was like those other guys, I think, that jailer saying, I, I put my hope in making a bunch of money off of exploiting people or making a bunch of money off of hurting people or just hope that somehow the, 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 the political climate changes. My hope is in all of these things, and I'm seeing that you're deriving your hope from something very different. How do I get it? How do I get saved in on that? <laughs> What's happening in Philippi? That is the gospel in motion, this inbreaking of hope. Well, interestingly, let me just jump ahead for a second. The next town after Philippi that Paul and Silas and the gang go to is called Thessalonica. They pass through a couple of other towns, pick up pizza or something, and then they actually go to Thessalonica. That was a good joke. Thank you. You know what? I, you know, I, I, I do these jokes all the time, and nobody gets them, and thank you so much. That was really good. I, thank you. But in Thessalonica, again, this is a part of the world that, that Paul and the gang have never been to. So he gets up into Thessalonica, and the, they're met at the door, basically, in the town. This is how they're met. The, the townsfolk all gather around, and they go, oh, no, here are those men. These are those who turn the world upside down. Or in the NIV, cause trouble all over the world. But the King James is better on that score. These are those who turn the world upside down. Yeah, it's not a bad definition of the gospel, eh? Rick said this is an upside-down Christmas. (laughs) All the the consumerism, all the false hope, all the anxiety. I was listening in in my hotel. I went into the the, the breakfast room this morning. I'm listening to some, I I was just sitting underneath the television, and all I could hear is this person talking about how to reduce your anxiety during the Christmas season. And it's like, you know, don't text as much. I can't, you know, it was just inane, to be honest. And, the, and I was understanding if I was, if the, if I, if I, I was just catching the thing in snippets, that the anxiety is all the rush, all the crush, all the activity, <laughs> all the having to get more stuff. Hope. How do I get saved? How do I I get out of that and into whatever you guys have? (laughs) Oh no, here comes the church that turns the world upside down. These guys get hold of you. Life starts looking different. (laughs) The things that didn't matter start to matter now. The stuff at at the edge starts to come to the center. And the stuff that's in the center right now that is kind of just killing you it just starts to fade away how do I get in on that so what what's happening in Philippi let me just really quickly jump through this story that is the gospel in motion this hope incarnate this inbreaking hope tangible visible you can taste it it makes a difference it actually changes people's circumstances well, the first thing they, they do uh, is they're, they're, they're beckoned to go there by a man that Paul sees in a vision. doesn't say he's dreaming, it's at night, maybe he's asleep, we don't know. But it's some vision of a man of Macedonia. Maybe a 
you know, composite of all the men of Macedonia. Maybe he's some representative, or maybe he's a particular person. Just hang on to that thought. Maybe Paul actually sees somebody from the place of Macedonia. But the interesting thing about Macedonia and then Philippi as its capital is Philippi was more Roman than Rome. Um, is is out at the out, you know, the outer edge of the Roman Empire at that point in the northern part, and and they have prided themselves on their Roman status and culture and identity. And Rome at this moment in history is it. It is pinnacle, the best in show in everything. <laughs> Military, economy, government, uh, public works, you name it, uh, art, it's Rome. They're the only game in town. (laughs) All roads lead to Rome. And so they're at the pinnacle of, of, of the highest attainment of human effort imaginable in that part of the world and and then Philippi, as a capital of Macedonia, is more Roman than Rome. They are priding themselves in their Romanness. And what the, Paul has is this vision of this man in Macedonia, this man at Philippi. And he says, would you come over here? I'm begging you because we have it all and it's not enough. <laughs> we put our hope in this and we put our hope in that. We put our hope in this. and It's nice. It's nice to have good schools. It's nice to have good medical facilities it's, it's great but but we put our hope in it that's not enough get over here so up they go and and, and then they just sort of go you know concluding that they're do- going to preach the gospel <laughs> the inbreaking of hope so they get there and they just start wandering around just kind of like looking where are we going to go you know no big strategy except like God's on the move. And they go down to the river and they meet this rich woman, Lydia, a dyer of purple cloth, code word for lots of money. Uh, and Paul just realized this woman's ready to open her heart to Jesus. Nobody believes in God, but she wants the fullness of the hope. So he shares the gospel. You know what the first thing Lydia with all of her money does when she gets the inbreaking of hope? She wants to start giving her stuff away. If you consider me a believer, here's my Lexus, here's my summer home, here's my Learjet. (laughs) Would you use that for the advancing of the gospel? Folks, let me just say it very clearly. When the gospel is really taking hold in your your life, it's really the inbreaking of this radical hope of Jesus Christ and, and this displacing of false hope. And that's really happening one of the clearest measures of it is you're just not doing this with money anymore <laughs> and stuff. You're kind of living like this. Because if your hope is in the stuff, of course you have to do this, right? <laughs> but if your hope is something else, here's my stuff, she says. Use my stuff so that more people can hear about this Jesus. So that happens, and then they go down to the same place, and they meet this little slave girl. She's following them around. Now, I've just got a a little bit of a hunch she might be First Nations. That's, you know, I'm making that up. 
Except that I, I've been working, uh, walking alongside First Nations friends and communities now for 12 years, and uh, I, I, I meet these little girls all the time that um, nobody seems to care. Grandma cares, okay? Grandma cares. Nobody seems to see them, especially when they get off reserve. And uh, sometimes there's a fair amount of exploitation. So this little girl, I don't know what her age is, 12, 14, I don't know, some slave girl, snatched from something, she got some demonic, I mean, imagine the levels of trauma. (laughs) It's all turned demonic. And this demonic force, power, presence in her is pretty potent because she can predict the future and she must be good because they are making a lot of money. I don't think she sees any of it. I mean, they feed her, they put her in a little cinder blocks, hot lock the door, she sleeps on a hard mattress. Uh, They're pimping her. But they're making lots of money, they're living it up. And Paul, this is, uh, she keeps it for several days, giving a phenomenal infomercial. These are, these are servants of the Most High God telling you the way you should be saved. Now just put this in context. Here's a minor local occultic celebrity, this young girl. People are paying lots of money to get her opinion on the, you know, what's really going on in, in the spiritual realm. And, and so she must be pretty good. And, and it seems she is pretty good because she's nailing this one about Paul and Silas. These are servants of the Most High God telling you the way you should be saved. Like, what is not to like about that? That God has subverted the leading occult, you know, celebrity in town to somehow proclaim the, the source of the, the hope <laughs> The gospel and telling people, so they're like, "Oh my goodness, maybe we, maybe we'll go to Paul and Silas." I mean, it's just an awesome opportunity. But Paul says, finally, it's, it, the text I don't like it. It says he got annoyed and he turned and cast the demon out. You know the word "annoyed" in the Greek. Here's how Strong translates that word: piercing grief, resulting in depleting. Depleting fatigue, piercing grief resulting in depleting fatigue. Paul is heartbroken about the girl. Here's what the gospel is. Here's the inbreaking of hope of the gospel. It takes rich people and suddenly they got something bigger to live for than their riches and it takes little girls that nobody sees and nobody cares about and other people just exploit and he gets brokenhearted over them and it deals with the source of their deep bondage. <laughs> it sets them free. Well, that costly thing because you know, then these guys who lost the source of their income, source of their hope, they're hoping to make a lot of money off of her. They raise a big stink and then this Paul and Silas get beaten in the Roman way. That's pretty brutal. They get thrown into jail. And as I said, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if you have occasional bad days. I can get pretty whiny. Is that, is, am I lonely up here? Is there nobody with me here? Uh, can you get, can, do you ever get whiny? Okay. 
And if, if you had said no, I would have gone and talked to your wife about it. Cause just sort of, you know what? Um, and, and, and it was worse because they're in jail and with bleeding and cuts and all that and the shackles on them, the inner cell, because they've done this good deed in town. Hope this little girl. And what do they do? They start singing. By the way, you have a beautiful voice. So, I mean, I don't know if Paul could sing like you or Silas could sing like you, but, but imagine, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Or, you know, they just start singing. And, and it says, and the other prisoners were listening. Now, there's other prisoners, and I bet a few of them are in jail for reasons of criminality. <laughs> Not for doing good deeds. But it says they're listening. And why are they listening? Let me suggest those other prisoners are listening because they're like, I ain't ever heard nothing like this of ye. That's the weirdest thing. These guys, I, I know that little girl, that little girl, that little girl. I, I used that little girl. I spent money to get that, find out what that little girl wanted to say about my future. I didn't think about that little girl. These guys helped her. And then they got beat up and thrown in jail for it. And now they're singing. They're singing. That's amazing. What is their hope in? <laughs> Anyhow, this earthquake hits. Boom, it's a big one. All the doors fly open. All the shackles fly off. And all the prisoners fly out, or so the prison guard thinks. <laughs> He's going to, you know, save... Caesar, the expense of an investigation. He's just going to do the noble Roman thing and kill himself because it's his fault. doesn't matter how the prisoners got away. And out of the gloom comes the voice of Paul. Paul, who's just suffered at the hands of the system, suffered at the hands of this man personally, Out of the voice, out of the gloom comes the voice of Paul. Do not harm yourself. We are all here. I can see Paul and Silas not making the break for it. I actually think in that story going back into Acts chapter 8 where Peter gets out of jail by sort of miraculous means and then we find out the conclusion of that story that the prison guards were interrogated and then killed. And I actually think that the early church made some kind of pledge. If you're ever in jail and you have an opportunity to get out, don't take it because they'll kill the guards and we care about everybody. That's my own theory. So I can see Paul and Silas saying, you know what? We're not going to exploit anybody, not the girl, not the man, not anybody. But we are all here. I don't know. We don't, I wish we were told, you know, some of the backstories of some of those other prisoners. <laughs> Dad walked out at four when he's four. Mom had a series of guys coming through. Um, never had time. She got addicted to something. He was on the street when he was 12, trying to survive. Yeah, you know, you... You know, by, by the time he's in that prison, he's, this is like the 12th time. And he's never 
up until this point in his life, missed an opportunity to exploit somebody else's weakness to his own advantage. Except tonight. (laughs) We are all here. Because tonight, that man and the man beside him and the maybe the woman down in the cell block C have been exposed to some mystery, a song in the night that is some proclamation of a hope that they'd never hoped for before this night. (laughs) And they're not going anywhere because they want in on this. How do I get saved? How do I get in on this gospel? What is this gospel? When that man, that guard falls on his knees, I think he's saying, how do I get this kind of hope (laughs) that sets prisoners free, but not in the way we think of it? That their whole real situation, I want in. <laughs> I sometimes picture Paul going back to that church, I know a year after or something, maybe two years, he goes and has a visit. This is just a little imaginary thing I do. Walks in. Um, some guy at the door greets some tats, you know, tats all up, <laughs> all up the neck and everything. And uh, the guy hands him the bulletin. He says to Paul, you don't recognize me, do you? And he goes, no, I, you look familiar. Where have we met? I was in that prison that night. <laughs> Cell block B1. I wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> oh, yeah, Paul says. And Paul walks in the sanctuary, and he sees the worship team you know, rehearsing, and he and he sees this little girl up there and she sings like an angel and she glows like one. And he thinks, there you are. I remember when you used to walk around with a spirit in you. And now I see you standing up there with the spirit of God upon you. And then he looks at the front and there's a, a, a matronly woman, an elderly woman, well-dressed, but she's looking at this girl on the platform and she is glowing because she just spent the last year mentoring and discipling this, this young girl on the stage. And Paul slips in beside the lady and he says, Lydia, how are you? And then the, the, the pastor gets up to preach and Paul beams. Because <laughs> there he is, the prison guard. <laughs> and if that church had a little motto that churches tend to like to have, I would suggest it's this. We are all here. (laughs) Now let me just very quickly transition and talk a little bit about the work of World Vision. In 2014, uh, I went with Chris, my friend from World Vision, and a number of other people from the Mississauga staff team and uh, around Canada, and we went to Brazil, Fortaleza, Brazil. We traveled and saw a number of the projects. And we ended up in this one very, um, very 
disheveled, ramshackle area outside of Fortaleza. It was, it was, uh, some of the slums in Brazil from a distance are pretty. Not this one. <laughs> and yet we met there this man who worked for World Vision, a volunteer. Paulo, he had the pinkest shirt I've ever seen. But I would never, uh, he was the most manly man I've ever seen. Hey, Chris? He was just pure man. Um, and, he, and he's given over his life as a volunteer to serve the young people of this slum. And they, they just gather, they flock around him, these young boys that honestly, uh, if you know the area and the di- dynamics of the area, these boys would end up in some kind of uh, life of crime is their number one option for a career. But none of these boys that are flocking around Paulo are going for a life of crime. You could just see the vitality in them. And then I met Louisa. Louisa was 13 at the time. One of the most vivacious young women I've ever met, just full of life. Now, right next to the slum is one of the major brothels of that area where the truckers pass through on their way inland in Brazil, and they stop off and they pick up a young girl, one of these little, little, little slave girls. <laughs> and that would be the number one option for Louisa and girls like her as a career option. But Louisa ain't going there either. I asked Louisa, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she says, I'm going to, not what she wanted to be. She didn't tell me. She told me what she was going to be. I'm going to be the mayor. And I think she is. And when I saw all this, I realized that the difference between those boys going into selling drugs and those girls going into brothels was actually the ministry of people on the ground, many of them volunteers, that had been resourced and inspired by World Vision. And I realized that they had been resourced and inspired because of people like you. Today, out there, there's a table, and there's a project actually in Kenya. Tevea, uh, it's a rural thing, but there's lots of challenges community faces. And I, I just pulled up one of these cards. Bahati, an 11-year-old girl, lives with her dad. I don't know where her mother's dad or what's happened there. And she's, uh, she's available today. <laughs> um, this young girl. That in some context might have ended up exploited but because World Vision got down on the ground. And people like you are helping support people like her. Uh, she might be the mayor one day. I would just encourage you, uh, no pressure, but if you want to be part of not just what's happening locally in incarnating the hope of Jesus Christ for your community, but you, there's something in you that also wants to make that happen on parts of the world that you may never get to visit for people that you may never get to meet. <laughs> then an opportunity awaits you in the foyer. It's been such a pleasure to be with you today, such an honor to be invited here, both by World Vision and by Rick. 
And let me pray. God, thank you for the incredible opportunity to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, hope breaking in. Thank you for uh, the opportunity that's very practical before us in this community for all of these people to be that incarnation, that picture, that taste, the sound of the song in the night for people. Uh, Any one of us can do that if we are rooted in this hope ourselves. And thank you for the opportunity that we can also be that inbreaking of hope for people like Bahati and others and the parts of the world that maybe we'll visit, maybe not. But for them, it's a real thing. And so, Father, on this day of Advent when we celebrate this glorious news, Jesus has come to open the eyes of the blind, to lift the yoke of, off, of the oppressor off, to lead the prisoners out. Uh, Father, would you continually give us this hope afresh that we might live this life and preach this gospel. We pray in your name. Amen. Thank you.